It's the way. Yeah, it's the way. You ain't heard of us. Hey, Rams. Hey, hey welcome. Heard with us. If you look around for a word to trust, check the star scene journey. You can learn from us. Sex, sleep, drugs. What we gonna discuss? Whatever you need to be prosperous. Negativity superfluous. All we really want is for you to just be true to you and be who you are Cause you are a star and you will go far You can succeed at all of your dreams You'll get your degree and all of those things But you must take care of your health Cherish yourself, your body, your mental, your brains and your wealth You can have fun and still be well That's what we do here at The Wealth Welcome back, Ramily, to What the Well. It's Kaylin here, your violence prevention health educator at The Well. And I'm back this week to talk about Sexual Assault Awareness Month, which is being honored at VCU and across the country throughout the month of April. Today, we'll be interviewing some awesome folks who support our Ramily in different ways, including Tamika McCoy, Coordinator for Advocacy Services at University Counseling Services, Tammy Slavinsky, Deputy Title IX Coordinator in Equity and Access Services. And then we'll be talking with students just like you about how they practice consent in their day-to-day lives. And then stay tuned because we'll be talking about ways that you can get involved with raising awareness and preventing violence throughout Sexual Assault Awareness Month and beyond. All right, so joining us, we have Tamika McCoy, Coordinator for Advocacy Services and University Counseling Services. And what I do is I provide supportive services to students who have experienced either sexual assault, intimate partner violence, stalking, or harassment. My services can include but not limited to academic accommodation, accompanying students to court, to Title IX interviews, and with the police, and also making referrals on and off campus for students. Basically, if a student comes in and says and says that they have been assaulted or in an unhealthy relationship or there has been a specific incident, then what I do is I um, the one thing I let them know is that my services are confidential. And so what happens is once they give me the information, I provide them with their with their options based on what they tell me. And so after that, then I support them in those options. Tamika, what do you think are some ways that our Ramley can work together to prevent sexual violence on campus and in the larger community? Just in everyday conversations with our students. Um, I am an advocate, but I go to lunch. I sometimes come up near the campus to eat. And so the, I'll engage students in conversation and I'll bring up what I do and what they think about certain topics and things of that nature. Just, you know, being a little bit more proactive in spreading the word about violence prevention and how to prevent sexual assaults. And then also having conversations, whether it be during programming or symposiums around safety and also understanding um, victimology and how to work with our friends who will may be reporting sexual assault or anything of that nature. How would you suggest that students could support friends who disclose that they've experienced sexual assault? The the first thing I would say is you need to listen without judgment. Never ask why. Don't be biased. And also 
staying on staying abreast of what is available to your your um, friends and your 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 significant others or your partners, such as advocacy services, university counseling. There are, there's also things at the well and things of that nature. Just knowing those resources and being being there to provide them those resources. Also, in addition to listening to them, you also want to listen for anything that would be cause for concern like suicidal ideation and and oh I'm going to hurt the person who hurt me and things like that you definitely want to be listening for that as well so that you can take the take the proper actions after that but the most important thing I think is to is to listen and to provide empathy for them. And sometimes, I also want to put a plug in for this too, a lot of times people don't want you to solve their issue because there's nothing we can do and go back and, and you know, make the act not happen or, you know, you know, make the act that happened to the person go away. Sometimes they don't want you to solve the issue. They just want you to validate them and be there for them. So those are the most important things that students can do for each other. What else do you think is important for survivors on campus or the larger community to know? First of all, they need to know that there's help out there and they have options. Um, our, we have, of course, our email at um, myoptions.vcu.edu is one of the best tools you can use because you can ask your questions and someone will respond to you and that someone is me. And we will, I will respond to you and answer any of the questions that you have, just knowing that there are resources on campus and also off campus. Because I do realize that there are students who rather not um, partake of the resources on campus, such as university counseling. They, whether go, they have insurance, so they go to private organizations or they go to YWCA, which is free, of course. In addition to knowing that there is help, they also um, need to understand that it doesn't matter when they get the help. If right after something happens, if they don't report, if they don't go and get help, that does not mean they cannot go and get it. It, it could be a year old. It could be two years old. It doesn't matter. You get the help when you feel like you're ready to um, engage in the helping process, to engage in whether it be groups or individual counseling or even advocacy services. You, get, you engage at your comfort level, and there is no pressure to do so. You do it when you're comfortable doing it because at that point, like, you know, I support the university's position that our students do have options. If, you know, if you know of a student or you yourself have experienced any anything in the four categories that I mentioned earlier, please reach out to University Counseling Services and request appointment with advocacy. The number is 804-828-6200. That does not mean you are making a report. It just means you're coming to get additional information, to get support, and to know what your options are. And thank you so much, Kaylin, for inviting me. Hello, my name is Tammy Slavinsky. I'm the Deputy Title IX Coordinator for Students and Equity and Access Services. My pronouns are she, her, and they. And Tammy, what's your role here on campus? I receive reports related to prohibited conduct in our sexual misconduct and violence and sex and gender-based discrimination policy, including sexual assault, sexual harassment, intimate partner violence, which also can include stalking, um, and also um, discrimination or harassment on the basis of gender identity or gender expression. How do you and the other people in your office, which is Equity and Access Services, work with students on campus? 
Well, like I mentioned, I receive reports, and that can come from a number of areas. Students can submit a report through an online form. They can also send an email or call our office. And we also have a lot of folks at the university who work directly with students who are considered responsible employees, which means that they are required to make reports involving the behaviors I mentioned earlier to our office. So I may receive reports from faculty, from advisors, um, people who work directly with students who are not listed as confidential in our policies. So, for example, um, Tamika McCoy, the advocate in U University Counseling Services, and the counselors in University Counseling are confidential, as are um, the clinicians in student health. So I receive the reports. I meet with the person who is impacted, um, talk with them about their options and resources, including filing a complaint through our office if the um, behavior falls under our policy, um, and if the other person who they are um, reporting to have harmed them, if they are either a student or employee at the university, um, because they fall under our policy as well. But even if the issue is something that occurred off campus while they were per perhaps on spring break, um, if it was involving somebody who isn't affiliated with our campus, we still want to help them and make sure that they're connected to resources. And um, we help them in a number of ways, and I can talk more about that. Yeah, I would love to hear more about the ways that you help students and support students um, and any other resources that you or your office offer that you would think would be important for our students to know about. Well, one of the things that I do most often, you know, Title IX is about um, removing barriers and making sure that students and employees have access to education um, and do not face um, discrimination on the basis of sex and educational programs. So I write notes to professors commonly, um, not disclosing the situation that the student is experiencing because we take students' privacy very seriously, but we want to let them know that they're experiencing a sensitive matter that's unrelated to the course and ask that they have some flexibility, for example, to make up any missed assignments because ultimately we want students to be you know, successful and to stay on track. Um, I also connect them with resources, like I work very often with Tamika, um, who can also help connect them to resources such as counseling, support groups. Um, sometimes students need to change housing. Um, they may need to switch out of a class section, for example, if they are in a class section with somebody else who um, they reported has harmed them and they want to move to another class section, we can assist with that as well. And we also work very closely with VC police because um, a good number of the behaviors that are policy violations are also crimes in the state of Virginia. So, for example, sexual assault is also a crime, and if a student would like to make a report to VCU police, um, or even if it happened in another jurisdiction, VCU police has even transported students to meetings with other police if the students would like to make a report, but it, you know that is their choice. What would you say is the most common question that students have when they come to seek support in your office? They usually want to know what will happen, um, you know, and that's something that you know they do have a say in the outcome that they're seeking. So sometimes I'll have a student who comes in, they just want to learn more about our process and what possible sanctions could be issued. So the greatest sanction that we have is expulsion for serious misconduct if someone is found responsible. Um, so they may have questions you know, relating to sanctioning. Um, sometimes students aren't seeking to hold the other person accountable through our policy, and they um, simply want to learn more. They just want to be connected to resources. 
Um, we also have informal resolution options for conduct that um, is of lower severity. So, for example, if we have a, a couple students who are in a relationship and one person is continuing to contact the other, maybe follow them on social media, and um, the person who reaches out to us wants the behavior to stop, um, we have informal resolution op options called alternative resolution where I will meet with both parties. It's a voluntary process. Um, I don't bring parties together, but I have conversations with, with them individually about the behavior and you know, wanting to make sure that the prohibited conduct doesn't continue and then also usually issuing a no contact um, through that alternative resolution which simply means that one person or more are not to have contact with another person at the university. So we're here in honor of Sexual Assault Awareness Month in April um, and doing a really great job raising awareness around consent um, and ways that our family can engage in supporting survivors and preventing violence. So in terms of how VCU policy defines consent, could you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Our policy, like most um, policies and educational policies in the, in the U.S. now, recognize affirmative consent. Actually, in the state of California, all institutions are required to have affirmative consent policies, which means it's informed, knowing, and voluntary. Um, it's active. It's not passive. And if someone consents to previous sexual activity, that doesn't mean they consent to current activity. That's great. I love that we are talking more about affirmative consent. We've been talking, recognizing that absolutely that no means no, but also moving towards this yes means yes. And what does it look like for us to have conversations and be able to negotiate those boundaries so that we know the people that we're engaging with are really excited and enthusiastic about the things that we're excited and enthusiastic about. And another important point to make is that if, um, and I know that your listeners probably already know this, but if somebody is incapacitated, due to drugs or alcohol, um, or for other reasons, they're not able to consent. Sometimes folks have questions about what does incapacitation look like, and um, it isn't the same as necessarily being drunk, but it's a fine line. And again, we go back to the policy. Is somebody able to, um, in an informed, knowing, and voluntary way, provide consent? If they're not able to do that, then they cannot consent. Tammy, what would happen if a student maybe was um, under the influence of alcohol or other drugs um, and they were sexually assaulted and they wanted to report that? Well, that's a common question as well. We have an amnesty policy um, in, so that if a student was drinking at the time they were underage, for example, or they were doing um, illegal drugs, they will not get into trouble for, for those behaviors and we've also, you know, worked with VC police to ensure that there aren't going to be any charges for underage drinking, for example, um, because we ultimately we want people to be safe and healthy and to come forward and let us know what's happening so that we can stop the behavior from happening in the future. Great. I think it's really great that we have that in our policy and important for students to know that they have access to the same resources and support, um, even if they were engaging in those behaviors. What are some ways that you think our family can work to prevent sexual violence on campus and in our communities? Well, I think the Wellness Resource Center and Counseling Services already does a great job of engaging students in real conversations about consent. Um, like you mentioned before, you know, we ultimately want people to be healthy and happy. Um, enthusiastic consent is best. 
And if they see a, a friend or family member, um, somebody that they care about who is having some trouble with a partner, um, felt that they couldn't consent to sexual activity, um, they have a former partner who's continuing to contact them or follow them or have other people contact them on their behalf, for example, engaging in stalking behaviors. If you know somebody who's experiencing that, you know, talk with them about their options. Let them know that, you know, maybe you listened to this podcast or you went online and you found some resources for them and empower that person who's experiencing um, the behavior to come forward and make a report if they'd like to do so. And if they're not ready to do so, that's where Tamika comes in. They can talk with Tamika confidentially. And if they get to a point where they're ready to make a report, we're here for them. Great. Is there anything else that you think is important for our students to know? I think it's important. You know, we have a lot of people at the university who work for the university who um, care about these issues and are trying to prevent them, but we really need the students to be talking to each other, um, communicating with each other about consent, about being an upstander, about intervening, um, supporting each other to come forward, to um, break the silence. Um, so if we all were working together to create a climate that is um, engaged in healthy conversations around sexuality, um, about diversity, respecting differences, respecting people's gender identities, for example, um, how they identify, it, all those conversations are so important to make sure that people feel welcomed and included in our community and, um, and there's a sense of equity. Thank you so much to Tammy Slavinsky, Deputy Title IX Coordinator for Students, for joining us. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you, Kaylin. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, too. So we've got some awesome students joining us now. Do you all want to introduce yourselves? Yeah. Hi. Um, I'm Ingrid. I'm a sophomore. Pronouns are she or they. And I'm an exercise science major. And I'm a peer health educator, uh, a first-gen peer mentor, and I live in VCU Globe. Hi, y'all. I'm Pilar. Um, I'm a senior here at VCU. Um, I've been doing peer health education for about two semesters now. I'm in the sexual health, healthy relationships group. I'm currently studying both uh, psychology and uh, exercise science here at VCU. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, y'all. So we're talking about consent because we are here in April and in Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And so I know some of the ways that I practice consent on a day-to-day -day basis or maybe in some intimate situations, but I also know that I'm old and I want to hear from y'all about what that looks like for you in your day-to-day -day life. How do you practice consent with friends, with strangers, with roommates, with other people in your day-to-day -day life? Uh, I practice consent pretty much all the time. Uh, for example, last night I asked my roommate after I got off work if I could eat some of her leftovers uh, in the fridge. And it was something that she heated up and she said that was totally fine. So it's just something easy like that or you can have a different situation that could be uh, more physical, intimate. Where, for example, I was with my partner and I was, or I was asking, okay, how do you feel about adding this into the bedroom? And they were like, no, I'm not a fan of that. And I was like, okay. So we just, it could be that simple. And there are these things like if you're struggling with like, well, why? I've been with this person for a long time or this is just a hookup. There are these, thing, these things called yes, no, maybe lists. 
And there are things in them when I looked at them that I had, I saw this like really extensive list with like a hundred and something on there. And there are things I don't even think about, like I didn't think about until like I saw the list. So I think it's important to kind of go over some bases, like even if it is just a hookup for sure. Like, are you into, I don't know, like going down on someone? So I think that's important to kind of talk about um, no matter how new or old the relationship is. Yeah, and the yes, no, maybe list includes things um, that could be uh, if an unplanned pregnancy was to occur, how would you both go about that situation? How do you feel about those things? Um, it doesn't have to, it can be uh, the way you interact with other people, even when you're in a relationship. It doesn't have to be just sexual things. Yeah, so the yes, no, maybe list um, that y'all are talking about, you can Google yes, no, maybe list. There's lots of different ones that exist online um, for different practices. There's blank ones that you could create to negotiate some of these things like Ingrid was talking about um, and Pilar was talking about, about negotiating things with roommates. Um, but you could also do a blank one with a partner or partners. And you don't even have to have a partner to uh, use one of these yes, no, maybe lists. Um, as Ingrid was saying, sometimes it's great to just even look at the list and think through what my boundaries are that maybe I haven't thought about prior. Um, and the one that they're referencing is from a website called The Goodman Project. Um, and that's the one that's um, like over 100 items. But like I said, there's lots of different yes, no, maybe lists that you can Google. And sometimes when I have conversations with students about consent, their fear or their pushback is that it's awkward or that it kills the mood. Um, and even it sounds like some of the things you were talking about, like unplanned pregnancy, that's a really big, heavy, and potentially awkward conversation. So how do you all incorporate these tools or practicing consent without making it awkward? Um, I think just talking about it makes it less awkward. So not being afraid to talk about it, because I think if you're afraid to talk about it, that's what makes it awkward. So if I'm like, hey, Pilar, could I give you a hug when we're done with this podcast? Like, I think I think just asking about it, and I think when you hear that, because every time someone's asked me for consent, whether it be a hug or just anything, it's always been like, oh, like, thank you for asking. You don't think about it, because sometimes people just do it. And it's really nice to hear that. So I think I think hearing it is nice to hear, and then being the person to ask, it also makes you look like you're just a very caring person. I think when you ask for consent it makes you look like a very considerate person um you you just look like this kind person and it's really nice to hear that especially when you don't expect it like before someone gives you a hug even if you you know your acquaintances so it's just nice to hear or even kissing like your first kiss like it's kind of nice to hear like hey can I kiss you even if the mood is like <laughs> like that kind of mood so I totally agree with Ingrid uh, that how considerate a person is or acts or looks um, when they ask for consent. It's something I ex I extremely appreciate. Like, for example, my partner uh, asked if he could pull my shirt. I had a rash on my back, and he wanted to check and see if everything was okay. He said, uh, he, and he simply asked, can I pull up your shirt and look at it? And I really appreciate that just because someone else might just – think it's okay to just automatically lift and like maybe I'm not comfortable with that and so it's just very um kind and it's kind of like it's a, almost a feeling of being like loved as well and appreciated and respected when something like that occurs mm -hmm. I need to I think in some aspects though I need to work on my consent because there will be times where I've, I've gotten a lot better now that I'm 20 and not eight 
but I sometimes people would be like holding something and I want to look at it and I'll like kind of just pull it out of their hands or I'll go into like my roommates rooms or my friends rooms and I just I'm a fidgety person so like I'll pick up their stuff and just start looking at it without even asking um which isn't good I should be like hey can I touch your lava lamp and like I think you know I should work on that as well I think it goes both ways because I wouldn't like it if they came in and started touching my lava lamp in my room I don't have a lava lamp that's a lie but, you know, it's an example. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can I touch your lava lamp? We're joking about that, right? But I think that that's an important point that we can pause on is sometimes we use words that we think mean one thing or a certain body part. Like, you know, can I, like, eat your cupcake? Right? So that might mean something very different to me than Pilar or Ingrid or anybody that I'm engaging with. Um, and so I think it's important for, even though we might have all these sort of euphemisms or metaphors for different parts of our body because we think that that's awkward to talk about, or maybe those are the things that we've been taught or not taught um, in school or by our families and friends, um, it's important to make sure that if we're going to use those words that we've already collectively define those words within the context of that relationship. So if I'm using that word, I've already talked with the person that I'm using it with about this is what I mean when I say cupcake so that they know and they know exactly they're completely informed and knowing um, and actually able to consent fully. Are there other things that come up that you think are important for our Ramily to know when it comes to consent? Um, so we were talking about, or we were talking a lot about how we have verbal consent for things, but oftentimes we can we can also have physical consent or nonverbal cues. You can start moaning during the heat of the moment. Uh, there can be eye movements, eye contact, um, whispering into somebody's ear, and also, uh, <laughs> also, when you're saying things verbally, that could be a turn on, like. Oh, do you like the way I do this? Things of like things of that nature. I'm not gonna get too detailed into that. Kaylin likes doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> I haven't quite gone onto that comfort level. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to show my parents on my podcast so I can become famous in the household. In the household. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm an only child, but I, it doesn't matter. My 15 minutes of fame. That's all I want. <laughs> so you're trying to keep it PG for this podcast, That's so why I haven't mom said and dad. Anything. I don't want them to know. Oh. Mom and dad, since you're probably not listening, um, just know I it's safe, and I don't want to go any further. Well, hypothetically speaking, just based on your experience doing health education with students, maybe you can speak on some experiences that you've heard other people having or also gradual like hand movements too or if it's like a new spot and maybe I don't know maybe you got your lips a little busy you know face to face action um, and you kind of just like put your hand in like a new spot or they put their hand in a new spot and it's kind of really tender at first so it's kind of like a, it's almost like an ask the way that they place it and then you're kind of like yeah it's okay or something like that. Or if they're, they want to try, like, a new position and they ask, like, hey, I want to try this. Like, as you were, guys were mentioning earlier, is that okay? I think that's, I think that's like, really important. Um, 
So, so that way, like, not only is it consensual, but it's also they want to try something new and maybe you're down. And then maybe you find something that you guys like and you can check yes on that yes, no, maybe box. So it all circles back, guys. Um, it's yeah. also uh, important to look for negative cues as well. We're talking a lot about positive ones, but a negative cue could be just noticing if they're tense or not or they're not making that eye contact. Uh, they seem kind of hesitant toward the situation. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones. Can, you, can y'all think of anything else that's a negative kind of nonverbal cue? I feel like just kind of like going with the flow, like, yeah, okay, I don't care. Just do mm-hmm. your thing. I think just being, when we're able to be present with our partners, we can really pick up on some of those cues and those nonverbals. Like just that energy or body language kind of shifting or maybe somebody wincing a little bit um, or cringing a little bit um, or their facial expression changing. Um, Maybe you're kissing them really aggressively and they're not kissing you back. That would be definitely a good sign to pause and check in and see how they're feeling and and if they're okay with what's happening. Um, If they're just laying there, that's definitely a a cue that you want to pause and check in, right? We don't want to just assume that they're just laying there because they're a pillow princess. But maybe they're laying there because they're not into it. Maybe they're laying there and they're completely checked out because they've had some sort of past trauma and they're triggered in that moment and maybe even feeling a little bit dissociated. Um, So we always want to check in if somebody isn't really reciprocating or mirroring um, that body language. And it's always a good idea to even check in when they are reciprocating and mirroring that body language because sometimes people are socialized to be people pleasers um, and they have a hard time asserting those boundaries. And it's always hotter when we know that people are really excited and enthusiastic to be doing what we're doing and what we are excited and enthusiastic to be doing. Anything else y'all wanna add? Um, That there's been a crackdown on consent within the media as well. So, I mean, it's been, you see the Me Too movement is really big and a lot of people kind of don't support that. But I think that the core of the movement is important. It's kind of women taking back their bodies and saying, like, this is not allowed and we're going to crack down on it and there's going to be consequences for it. And I think it's hard because not everyone has faced those consequences that have been shown in the media, um, which is difficult because then you're kind of setting, you know, like, like if they do get caught with this, like, is their career really ruined or are they going to become president? Like, what's going to happen? Um, so I think that's that, that's really interesting um, that more people are kind of seeing that sexual abuse and lack of consent um, within uh, within a position of power is something that should not be allowed, even though that it was seen as a common thing, um, like early to mid 19th century up until prob- probably currently, but not nearly as much. Um, so we all know the Terry Crews story where he was, he was groped at a party and people didn't believe him and he was scared to come out because he didn't want to ruin his career. And I think that's something that should also be touched on because if it's not consensual, you should tell someone, especially if they continue to do it. So, yes, it definitely makes us want to like reevaluate our society and the world that we live in, seeing what's okay, what's not okay, what are we allowing, what are we not allowing, um, just like Ingrid was saying with the Terry Crews situation. I feel like that happens in a lot of times, especially to uh, males. I feel like oftentimes we think of um, sexual assault in a heterosexual way or it's just only happening to females where 
it can happen in any format, situation, whatever. Um, so definitely keeping an open mind during consent and when we're listening to other people talk about their stories as well. Thank you so much to all of our guests for joining us today, to Mika, Tammy, Pilar, and Ingrid for coming out and talking about such important topics in honor of Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So I know you've all been waiting for this, Ramley, because I know you're all really excited to get involved with sexual assault awareness and prevention on campus. So throughout the month of April, we're asking you to post all the ways that you practice consent in the bedroom and beyond using hashtag RamsAsk. Did you ask your roommate before you took a cup of sugar yesterday? Do you check in with your bestie before watching the next episode of the show you always watch together? Did you ask your coworkers last week before you reheated those stinky Brussels sprouts in the microwave? Did you ask your boo if they were down with you going down? We want to hear all about it. Just make sure that you have consent from others involved before posting any identifying information. And then check us out on April 17th. We've got Wellness Wednesdays, hashtag RamsAsk. You can come out and find your peer health educators talking with students about practicing consent from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Later that evening on April 17th, we'll be gathering for our annual Take Back the Night event, which is a powerful survivor speak out and rally. You can come and share your story and show solidarity with survivors of sexual violence and then join us for a march around Monroe Park. We'll be in the Richmond Salons April 17th and the University Student Commons from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. The advocacy program at University Counseling Services will be hosting African-American Women and Sexual Assault, a culture of silence and disbelief on April 22nd from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. in the University Student Commons, Virginia Room C and D. And don't forget to wear denim on Denim Day, which is April 24th. Denim Day was started after the Italian Supreme Court overturned a rape conviction based on the fact that the survivor's jeans were too tight, so she must have helped the rapist remove them. Crazy, right? We know. So we wear denim in solidarity with survivors of sexual violence and to undermine those victim-blaming beliefs. Tag a photo of yourself, your organization, or your department wearing denim and use the hashtag VCU Denim Day. And you can find your PHEs on campus passing out Ask Me Why I'm Wearing Denim buttons, or you can email me, Kaylin Tingle, at Tingle, T I N G L E K M, as in Michelle, at vcu.edu to get your buttons. Check us out next week when Kat will be here talking about cannabis. Peace healthy love, and consent. Be well, Rams.